somebody look at your neighbor and say, let him in. Somebody look at your other neighbor and, and give him a high five and say, let him in. Turn around and, and high five somebody you've never high fived before and say, let him in. Unbeknownst to you, you just told your neighbor what the title of today's message is. Let him in. Let him in. Let him in. Let him in. Let's open up God's word and let's see where his word is taking us today. How many of you know that God's word works? How many of you know that God's word works? God's word is his communication to us. God's word is not something that we just read. It's, it reads us. God's word is not just something that we hear. It is something that we apply. God's word is, was not just a historical account of events that unfolded thousands of years ago, but God's word is a creative word. In fact, John started off his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and every single thing that was made was made by him and nothing that has been made was made without him. God's word is creative. In fact, God's word is so creative. It was there in the very beginning when he said, let there be light. And there was somebody look at your neighbor and say, God's got a word for you. And then the rest of you can be seated with the ones who already decided to be seated. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the narrative that we will explore today in John chapter 6, verses 12 through 35. Let me just say this. I know that God has a very specific word for you today because I, I know that as I've been preparing for this word all week, it's just stirred in my spirit and and, and, and yesterday, last night, I've, I've got this head congestion thing happening. And so about 10 o'clock or so, I decided that I was going to take some medicine. And I took some medicine. And midnight or so, I'm trying to go to sleep. And I can't go to sleep. And 1 o'clock rolls around, I can't sleep. And 2 o'clock rolls around. Well, I, I decided that I'm going to take some something to help me sleep. So I took some Z-Quil. I don't know if you've ever taken Z-Quil. So about 2 o'clock, I take some Z-Quil. And, you know, and that's not working. About 3 o'clock, I take some more Z-Quil. And it's still not seeming to work and so finally you know when 5 30 or so rolls around this morning it was kind of tough and so I went to the cabinet to see what in the world did I take that just kind of wouldn't let me settle down and so I, I took something that has a day and night version <laughs> needless to say I took the, the, the daytime version and that stuff will keep you awake so if you have problems at, at, at work you know, you ought to take that stuff. But I know that God has a, a word for you. And as you're turning to John chapter 6, let me just say this. Welcome to installment number 5 of this series, More Than a Miracle. Where we're looking at the miracles in the gospel of John, but more than just the miracle. We're looking at the story behind the miracle. We're looking at the lesson that Jesus is teaching us through the miracle. In fact, in John's gospel, what he shows us is he's trying to establish for us this belief structure. In fact, his gospel is written so that we might 
believe. And he shows us the authority of the word of God, the word, Jesus himself. In fact, the miraculous nature of Christ doesn't point to the word. The word points to his miraculous nature. John himself, at the very end of his gospel, the very last verse in his gospel, he said, if everything was written down that Jesus did, there would not be enough room in the world to contain the writings. So can you imagine how difficult it must have been for the disciples to to figure out what they should put in their gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so John, he decided that he would come from the vantage point of Jesus is God, proving his his deity and, and, and his status as God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and so he, he took what we call miracles, John called signs, and he gave us signs of who Jesus was. Today is the fifth sign. So can I read some verses with you? This is going to go better if you help me, I promise. Can I get an amen? Let's pick it up in verse 16. It says this, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into the boat, set off across to the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. Now hang on a second because verses 16 and 17 tells us that Jesus or that the disciples got in the boat and they're going over to Capernaum. Capernaum is the base of operations for the ministry of Jesus. Verse 18, though, articulates for us a problem. Verse 18 says, a strong wind was blowing. Somebody say, a strong wind. And the waters grew rough. Somebody say, the waters grew rough. So here are the disciples going across to the other side, and the storm blows up, and they're rowing, and they're going nowhere. They're rowing, but they're going nowhere. Everything that they are trying is not working. Everything that they are doing, they are unsuccessful in what they are doing. They're hoping to go somewhere, but yet they're standing still. It's like coming to church and you have a flat tire on the way. It's, it's, like, it's like giving in an offering and then tomorrow your washing machine explodes and now you don't have the money to fix it because you gave them the offering the day before. It's like knowing that you have an issue with your spouse and you want to be vulnerable and tell them how you feel. And then after you tell them how you feel, it makes the situation worse. If you'll give me a minute, I'll hit on the place that you are rowing and going nowhere. Hello? Somebody say rowing and going nowhere. The storm grew worse. The winds grew worse. The finances grew worse. The occupation grew worse. But I think that we need to understand the context for which this story is written. This is the fifth sign of the miraculous nature of God. The fifth sign that proves Jesus himself is from heaven. The fourth sign just took place a few hours before. In fact, let me show you something. Back up. I should have started out with this, but just hang here with me. We need to digress some. Look at verse 12. Everybody say verse 12. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. What you need to understand is just a few hours before they set out for Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, there was this huge miracle where Jesus himself fed the 5,000, as the Bible calls it. We know that that is just men, not women and children. There were probably twenty or 30,000 people there. They all gathered together. The disciples are like, they have to be fed. Jesus says, sit them down. 
What do you mean sit them down? How are we going to feed them? There's no way that we can feed all of these people. There's not enough restaurants in the area. And then all of a sudden, this boy comes riding through on his bicycle. Peter sees him. He's got a knapsack on his back. Peter grabs him up off the bicycle and says, boy, you better give me those fish and chips. Some of y'all are like flipping through the Bible. Does it really say that? No, but I'm telling the story. I have the microphone. Hey, hey, I had the microphone. <laughs> you think that's funny. Um, so look what happens. Hold on a second. You got to see what happens. So verse, 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 verse 13. So they feed everyone. You know, Jesus blesses the food and the masses are fed. Verse 13 says, so they gathered them after Jesus told them to gather up what was left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they, being the disciples, gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Bring me this basket, please. Thank you. Twelve baskets left over. They started out with one little knapsack for lunch. Five loaves and two fish. Twelve baskets are left over. Can somebody say when grace shows up, it's not just enough, it is more than enough? Has anybody in this place ever experienced a more than enough kind of grace? 12 disciples, 12 baskets are left over. 12 disciples, 12 baskets are left over. Hang on a second. You got to see this. The next verse says, verse 14, after the people saw the sign, everybody say, saw the sign. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who is coming to the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, time out for a second. The very next verse says, When evening came, his disciples went to the lake. And we're going to set, out, set off across the lake. If you were to read this story in the other Gospels like Matthew and Mark, you would see that right here in this part of, of, of the story, the other Gospels articulate that Jesus told them to go across to the other side. He said, get in the boat and go across to the other side. Then he withdrew and he went up on the mountain. Now, hang on for a second. If we look at it from their perspective, he told them to get in the boat and go to the other side. And we know what John is telling us, that Jesus came from heaven, thereby he is God. That means that Jesus knew that he was sending them to the other side, but he also knew that there was a storm coming. So if Jesus knew that there was a storm coming, there's a lesson here that can be taught. The lesson is sometimes God does not deliver us from the storm, but rather he delivers us through it. That a preach. Don't start me to preaching. Thank you. Oh. Which that thought really should make us consider the song that we were singing last. We should have a new meaning. It should bring a new meaning for us. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Can you help me sing? It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. One more time, yeah. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, Lord. 
It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Here, the disciples are on the way to the other side. Twelve basketful are left over from the previous miracle. No more than a couple of hours later. Jesus made sure that there was not one basket full. Peter would have hogged that for himself. He made sure that there were 12 baskets full. He made sure that there was a basket for each one of the disciples. So as they're rowing, going to the other side, the previous miracle is sitting right in front of them. They're looking at the leftovers from the miracle that just took place, and then the storm explodes on the scene. I don't really want to give too much emphasis to the storm. We could talk about the storm, but in John's version of, of this story, he doesn't really talk about the storm that much because for John, the storm is a footnote because what Jesus is really trying to do is establish a belief system within us so that we understand no matter what storm we face that he's there. So here the disciples have 12 baskets. 12 baskets full of the miracle that just took place. 12 baskets full, Richie, of a reminder of all that God has done. But how many times, how many times, how many times I wrote this down, have we forgotten what God has already done before he provides the next miracle? Hold on a second. How many times have we forgotten what God has already provided before the next problem arises? Mm. In fact, look at verse 19. Let me, let me show you something. Verse 19. You have, to, you have to see this. Verse 19. Can I just preach my way through this passage of Scripture? Is that all right? Verse 19 says this. It says, when they had rode about three or four miles, when they had rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Here is the leftovers from the miracle that just happened. A few hours later, they see Jesus walking on the water, and they are frightened, and understandably so if you understand the context of this story. However, there's something deeper that's happening here. Because the very next part of the verse, look, look, look at verse 20. Don't read too far. It says that Jesus says to them, it is I. In other words, for whatever reason, they didn't recognize Jesus. Hold on a second. Let me build on this thought. They didn't recognize Jesus, so he said, it is I. Something deep is happening here because they should recognize Jesus. They've been with Jesus now for quite some time. They've seen Jesus perform the miracles. They've seen the first sign, the water into wine. They've seen the second sign where he saved, if you will. He, kept, he healed the sick boy, the nobleman's son, and kept him from dying. We've seen the third sign where the paralyzed dude who was paralyzed for 38 years was lying at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus told him to pick up his mat and go home. We've just now seen the fourth sign where Jesus took one boy's lunchbox and he fed twenty to 30,000 people. But the Bible says that they were frightened. 
In fact, if you were to read other versions of this story in Mark and Matthew, you would see that the Bible says that they were terrified at what they saw. They were terrified at the wind. They were terrified at the waves. They were terrified at the sight of Jesus walking on water because they thought he was a ghost. They're wigging out. But hold on a second. Their fear is circumstantial. Their fear has caused them to lose sight of who Jesus is, even though they know Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus. They've seen, they've got the miracle of Jesus right in front of them. The Holy Spirit dropped something in my lap, and that is this, that God does not change in our circumstance. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that parted the Red Seas is the same God that we serve. The same God that got up out of a grave on the third day and walked out is the same God that we serve. The God that caused 5,000 plus people to be able to eat from a boy's lunchbox is the same God that we serve. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. But now the disciples are beginning to question that, and they don't even recognize him because of their circumstances. So, so, so their perspective has changed because of their circumstances. I wrote this down. God doesn't change based upon our circumstances, but many times we allow our circumstances to change our view of him. So our finances get worse. Uh, our relationships get worse. Uh, our, our kids, it's just, whew, everything just seems to get worse. And so now all of a sudden uh, our circumstances have not changed God, but they've certainly caused us to change our view of God. But I think you need to understand this is one of the reasons why John did not really give a lot of articulate facts about the storm. Because for each of us, the storm looks different. And sometimes it's not even a storm that causes us to change our perspective of who God is. Sometimes it's not a storm at all. Sometimes we're just rowing across the sea and we get halfway and we decide we just don't want to row anymore. I mean, we're like going to church and stuff and church is really important to us. And we, it, it, in fact, it's, it's extremely important to us and church attendance being here. We, we're like quoting, you know, just if you forsake yourself, assembling together with other believers, it's not a good thing. So I'm going to go to church. But then all of a sudden you miss one week and two weeks and three weeks. And, and then you kind of slack off and pretty soon you haven't been to church and you're no longer saying, you know, forsake not yourself, assembling together with other believers. But rather you're making another statement like, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christ follower. God didn't change. Your circumstances caused you to view God in a different way. Or else, should I say, you, 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 you wanted to be able to deal with who you now are, so you changed who God was. Hello? We want forgiveness. God, give me forgiveness. But yet, we don't want to yield forgiveness. God understands. We want to pick and choose what we want to live and believe out of the Bible. I'm, I'm going to believe everything else, but I'm not going to believe that tithe part. God understands. He does understand. He understands that you have made something more important to you than he is. I said I'm going to need some help. You see, what you need to understand is that what you are doing when you find yourself in this situation and because of your circumstances, you feel like God has changed. No, 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 God hasn't changed. You've just changed your view of who God is in your circumstances. You've allowed your circumstances to, to, to take dominion over you. What you need to understand is this, though. What you are doing is creating a God in your image when you've forgotten that God has created you in his. Woo! 
So the disciples, they are going around with the basket. I mean, full, 12 baskets full. But yet now they can't view, they can't even recognize Jesus. They, in the moment, they can't even hear or recognize Jesus. So Jesus says to them, it is I. Look at verse 20. He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. Can, can, can I pause right here for a minute? Can I teach for a minute? Is that okay? Because I think that there are some theological things. I think that there are some geographical things that certainly give us more context to this story. You see, here is Jesus. If you look at the other Gospels, John kind of tells it in a little different way. He says that the disciples depart and go to the other side, but the other Gospels say that Jesus told them to get in the boat and go to the other side. And the disciples, either way, they don't have a problem going to the other side. And the reason for that is because many of them are fishermen. But they also know that going to the other side of this lake at night is a difficult task because violent storms are known to blow up on this lake. Just simply because of the geographic things that are happening with this lake. It's built, or if, if you will, it's created in a suppression. In, in fact, it's in a bowl. It's 600 feet below sea level. Surrounded by mountains. Jesus, remember, has withdrew, and he's, he's on top of one of the mountains. Now, what happens on this lake is at night, the air cools in the mountains. And coming out of the west, the air, cool air, rushes down the mountainside onto the lake, collides with the warm air of the lake, and now there's these explosive storms. The problem is the disciples are headed to Capernaum, which means that they're headed into the wind. Jesus, again, remember this, is on top of one of the mountains looking down over the lake, and from his perch he could see everything on the lake. Mm, there's some symbolism here. From his perch, he could see the disciples trying to row, and they're rowing, but they're going nowhere. He can see their struggle. He understands their struggle. You see, what you need to understand is that Jesus sees your struggle. He knows what people have said about you, what they've said to you, what they've done to you. Jesus knows your struggle. He knows when you're crying and nobody else knows that you're crying. The Bible says he's bottled up your tears. He knows your struggle. He knows when you can't seem to make it through and you feel like your business is stagnant, you feel like your life is stagnant. He knows. He sees your struggles. There's a foreshadowing here. There's some symbolism here that you've got to grab. This is the second time that Jesus has intervened in a stormy situation. The first time was in Matthew chapter 8 when he was in the boat with the disciples and he was taking a nap and he gets up and he says, peace, be still. And then he goes back and catches some Z's. Jesus was in the boat. He gave a command, and the seas obeyed. Why? Because he is God. But this time it's a little different. They're rowing to the other side, and Jesus is nowhere to be seen. This is a foreshadowing. Because what Jesus is saying is there's going to be a time when I'm not with you in, in, in the flesh. And you, you, you've seen me speak to the wind and the waves and, and, and the wind and the waves begin to cave into the words that I have spoken. But now he's hoping that they will trust in his unseen care. So here is Jesus up on top of the mountain. He's praying. 
Jesus is our intercessor. God, you see them. You know what's going on. They've got the blessing in front of them, but they've ignored the very miracle. He knew he was sending them over. He also knew that he's going to get them through, but yet they've ignored the very miracle that's sitting in front of them. They've already forgotten what just happened a couple of hours ago. God, you know what they need. Hold on a second. Could this be the fulfillment of an Old Testament Psalm, Psalms 121, where the Bible says, I look to the hills and where does my help come from? Jesus is up in the hills. The right writer says, I look to the hills and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord because he made the heavens and the earth. So all Jesus is doing is saying, you're going to have to build up your faith because there are going to be times that I'm not going to be with you in the flesh. So you're going to have to have faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. How do we build up our faith? It's not by what we see. It's by what we hear and hearing the word of God. Some of you need to understand even Even though you're struggling, it doesn't mean you will not make it. Even though you can't see the other side, it does not mean you will not make it to the other side. Even though it feels like you are losing, it does not mean you will lose. Even though it feels like Jesus is not at work because you cannot see him at work, it does not mean he is not at work. That's why the Bible said in Psalms 121 that we look to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Somebody going to help me? I think we can all relate because there are many times when what God has said and what we see are worlds apart. Keep in mind, the disciples are not going to the other side of their own volition. They're not rowing to the other side because they wanted to. They're rowing to the other side because he told them to. They're rowing to the other side because he told them. And and what I've noticed is that fear and frustration begin to take up resonance in our lives when we are more focused on what we see rather than what we've heard. Hold on a second. But if faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God, then the disciples, if they were rowing because God told them to row, that just means that they were being obedient. If they were rowing and still going nowhere, all they were doing was being obedient. That means that they were rowing on a word. Mm, Lord have mercy. They were rowing on a word, even though it felt like they were going nowhere. I don't know who this is for, but you may feel like your life is, is falling apart. You may feel like you've got difficulties that are beyond your control. You may feel like your money is funny. Your kids are acting stupid. You may feel like it's the darkest night that you've ever been in, but you've got to stand up and declare that Jesus, Jesus Christ is Lord. He said, it is I, so do not be afraid. It was the same thing, James, that he said to Moses thousands of years before. He said, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Mm. Verse 21. Verse 21. Verse 21 says, Then they were willing to take him in. I love that. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Hold on a second. So their minds 
in their circumstances now have transitioned from their circumstance from their circumstance to the one who's over their circumstance their minds have transitioned from all of a sudden they see these baskets again they have to hold on a second (laughs) Jesus is here you see this story is not as much about what God did in the storm as it is who Jesus is in the storm Hold on, I I need you to grab this. Because if you look at all of the other versions of this story, it it talks about the storm ended. But John's version says that immediately they reached the other side. It doesn't say that the storm ended. It says immediately they reached the other side. I don't know how that happened. I don't know what kind of Star Trek stuff that is. I don't know. But it says immediately they reached the other side. John does not not articulate that the storm stopped. What he does articulate, if you know the context of the story, is that they made it through (laughs) even in the storm. Lord have mercy. Is that not how the gospel works? Jesus walked out on the water to them. They recognized him, let him in the boat, and immediately they made it to the other side. They didn't make it to the other side because of their strength. They made it to the other side because they let Jesus in the boat. Are you letting Jesus in the boat? Let him in. Let him in in your finances. Let him in in your life. Let him in in your relationships. Let him in when raising your kids. Let him in in your career. Let him in in, in, in your in, in, in your emotions. Let him in in every single way in your life. Because what you need to understand is that he rebuked the wind and the waves in the other story. But this story, they just made it to the other side. Why? Because what John was telling us is that the greatest miracle was not that he calmed the wind and the waves. The greatest miracle takes place in his presence because when we're in the presence of God, the miraculous takes place. Good God Almighty. I look to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord because he made the heavens and the earth. I don't know who this is for, but you've got to let him in. You've got to let him in. You've got to let him in because he's the difference maker. For John, the miracle was not Jesus walking on the water. Because Jesus, and the miracle was not that that Jesus even calmed the raging sea. The miracle is that they made it through the storm. And the reason why they made it through the storm was because of his presence. His presence is the difference maker. Can, Can I read you something else? Is that okay? Everybody stand up. Half of you are standing up. I'm just going to let the other half stand up. You got to see this stuff. Everybody say 12 baskets. They let him in. They let him in the boat. And immediately they reached the, the shore. Verse 22, the next day, the crowd had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Why? Because they were watching all of this. 
Verse 23, then some of the boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? How did you do this? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you that you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The only reason why you're chasing after me is because you want to eat again. That's what he's saying. At that point in time, I'm sure the disciples are like, Jesus, is that what the 12 baskets are for? You want me to get, these, you want me to get the baskets? He's about to do something else, boys. Y'all better watch this. And then, look, it says, verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, nor for food that endures, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work is this, to believe in the one who was sent. So they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Oh, right now Peter's like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Get ready, boys. We're about to eat again. Then Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Hmm. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. (laughs) Then Jesus declared, I am that bread. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. He says, because it's me that will get you through. I'm the one who will take you to the other side. I'm the one in the storm. I'm the one in the valley. I'm the one on top of the mountain. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one. Let me in. Let me in. When you let me in, I will make things go away that you haven't been able to get away. I will make a way where there seems to be no way. Somebody say, let me in. 